All right, great. Hi, everybody. This is Dan Vallone from Reaching Higher New Hampshire. Thank you for joining us for our first podcast. Reaching Higher is a nonpartisan education policy nonprofit based here in New Hampshire, and we focus on facilitating public engagement with the education policy making process. So we are very excited to be talking today about the New Hampshire Draft Consolidated State Plan. This is a document that, the New, that New Hampshire is required to submit to the United States Department of Education as part of the Every Student Succeeds Act. The New Hampshire Department of Education has been working on this plan for the past year or so, and it just posted the draft plan on its website. The New Hampshire Department of Education is asking for public input on the plan, and the people of New Hampshire have a 30-day window to send in comments. So today, in order to help facilitate that public engagement, we're going to break down the state plan. We're going to talk about what's in the plan, what isn't in the plan, and how it will impact New Hampshire students, families, and educators. We're very happy to have, us, have with us today two people who have been deeply engaged in the drafting of the state plan. We have Heather Gage from the Department of Education and Susan Lyons from the Center for Assessment. I'm going to turn it over for, to them for some quick introductions. Heather. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate reaching higher asking us to be a part of this podcast today to help explain our draft consolidation state plan for the Every Student Succeeds Act, as you mentioned. Um, I'm just uh, part of um, introductions. I am the division director for the uh, Division of Educational Improvement at the New Hampshire Department of Education. But I work with many great staff members uh, who manage the programs within this federal law. And through this work, we are also appreciative of some great partners we have in helping us put together this plan. One of those partners is Susan Lyons from the Center for Assessment, located right here in our great state of New Hampshire. So thank you, Susan, for being with me today. Thanks, Heather. Thanks, Dan. I'm glad to be here. As Heather mentioned, I'm an associate at the Center for Assessment in Dover, New Hampshire. We're a nonprofit that works mostly with state departments of education and other large education organizations to mostly provide technical assistance in the design of assessment and accountability systems. We work across the country and we've been helping many states in the design of their Every Student Succeeds Act plans. This luckily and happily includes New Hampshire, uh, where we have partnered with the Department of Education to lead the Every Student Succeeds Act Accountability Task Force. <laughs> that's, that's quite a, a title right there. So, and we're very thankful to have both Heather and Susan with us today. And should also note that New Hampshire is very lucky to have the Center for Assessment based here in our state. It allows for a lot of great engagement across the community, and they've done some great work uh, throughout New Hampshire's history. So, okay, before we dive into the specifics of the state plan, we're going to quickly step back and try and provide some context. So, Heather, I'm hoping that you can kind of walk us through the Every Student Succeeds Act, and more broadly, how do federal education laws impact education in New Hampshire? That would be a great start, Dan. Uh, it's important to note at the beginning um, that the Every Student Succeeds Act, which was signed into law in December of 2015, is actually a reauthorization of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965. This legislation has been the main federal law for K-12 general education covering all students in public schools for over 50 years. That's really hard to imagine. Um, throughout this time, states have submitted accountability plans to ensure that we have strategies in place 
that actually meet the intentions of the laws passed by Congress. So this is very familiar to us at the department, to educators in our states, and to many, family, many families in our state. The act was last reauthorized in 2002 under a title, very familiar, No Child Left Behind. And for a short period of time between 2013 and August of 2016, um, the state was able to receive what we call the flexibility waiver under that law to implement more localized approaches to accountability and support. So the new reauthorization of the Every Student Succeeds Act, or what I'll refer to often um, during this podcast of ESSA, received overwhelmingly, uh, overwhelming bipartisan support in Congress and, again, creates a long-term stable federal policy, which we've been looking for, um, that now gives states additional flexibility and encourages innovation, while at the same time, of course, holding us accountable for results. Um, the accountability provisions of the law will take effect um, in school year 2017-18, or this next school year, and there have been a period of adjustment transition, um, it's what it's referred to in, in the law, as the new provisions take place, which allows the states uh, to develop their framework for statewide accountability and reporting systems, the approach to school improvement and support, and how the state will support evidence-based district program strategies and fiscal flexibility and transparency. That's a lot that goes in there, but again, this is very familiar to us. Uh, and we're excited about the new law giving us some additional um, flexibilities or, or what I would refer to as a, uh, opportunities. It also ensures we have strategies in place to help some of our most vulnerable students, such as those that are homeless, migrant, uh, English learners, and um, uh, our students with disabilities and others. And finally, Dan, I just think it's important to note uh, re decisions regarding what I would call the how of student learning, uh, family engagement, and types of professional development for educators. All of those things occur at the local level. And as you know, we value uh, local governance um, in our state. It's very, very important. Um, this includes curriculum, instructional strategies, and materials, personnel, even homework decisions, and pretty much most of what you think of when you think of the day-to-day -day activity and operations of a school. All of this is in the control of local school districts in our state, and our state plan is in response to the federal legislation, and it's, a very, it's very small compared to the other things that are happening in our state regarding education. So readers of the state plan, and you'll hear me say this probably quite a bit, but readers of the state plan um, will quickly recognize that this submission, the draft plan, only includes those areas of interest to the U.S. Department of Education at this given time. And so we'll continue to be flexible with um, putting all of these ideas together. Great. Great. Okay. And just to recap quickly. so. A couple of takeaways from what you just said is uh, the first that the Department of Education here in New Hampshire has been doing this kind of work for a long time. That since 1965, there's been some federal law impacting education, and the New Hampshire Department of Education has helped facilitate those funds and implement those programs. And it sounds like if we think about the last two decades, we've had No Child Left Behind, and we had that period of waivers, and now we have ESSA. And we're very excited that ESSA provides a pretty clear roadmap for. Uh, state flexibility and opportunities for all of our students. And we're also keeping in mind that when we talk about federal policy, we're really only speaking about a, a relatively small, though very critical, set of policies that impact New, Hampshire, New Hampshire's education, something like Title I. Mm -hmm. And so, Susan, to help us better understand and put in context 
some of the major differences between ESSA and the law that it replaced, No Child Left Behind. I'm hoping you can kind of walk us through some of those updates or differences that, between the two laws. Of course, Dan. So when ESSA first came out in December 2015, which Heather mentioned, it was widely discussed in the press as being sort of this full U-turn from No Child Left Behind and returning all the power to the states um, and, and local school districts. However, upon a closer read, this really isn't the case. The law preserves many of the assessment and accountability requirements that were prominent in No Child Left Behind. For example, states must still adopt grade level content standards and they must have annual statewide assessments that measure student proficiency against those content standards. As in No Child Left Behind, the annual assessments are still for grades three through eight and once in high school for both math and ELA and once per grade span in science. Additionally, as Heather mentioned, states have been doing for a long time now, states must develop school accountability systems that take into account the performance of students on those annual assessments. Unlike No Child Left Behind, however, states do have a bit more freedom under ESSA to design accountability systems that take into metrics in addition to student proficiency, such as student growth. Here in New Hampshire, we've also added an indicator of college and career readiness at the high school level, for example. One additional change from No Child Left Behind is that states now have more flexibility and freedom in the design of the systems of school support. For example, states can choose evidence-based interventions. These are no longer really prescribed by the federal law itself, but the state can choose interventions that align with the state's own vision and theory of action for how this new accountability system will drive school improvement. Great. Okay, and just real quickly, so ELA, just to... Um, make sure everyone understands that's English language arts. So oftentimes we'll talk about math, English language arts, or ELA, and science when we talk about state and federal policy. And then Susan, just one additional question to kind of make sure everyone listening understands. Could you briefly describe the difference between student achievement or student proficiency and student growth? Those are pretty common metrics often talked about, but just want to make sure everybody kind of understands the difference. No, of course, that's a very important distinction and, and not widely known. So thank you, Dan. Uh, proficiency refers to just the, uh, a student's status score, where they are in this current point of time relative to their um, skills and knowledge for the content standards. Uh, growth refers to how much a student has grown over a period of time. And here in New Hampshire, we have a long history of measuring growth annually, basically looking at differences in performance from last year's assessment to this year's assessment. And we use something called student growth percentiles here in New Hampshire. Okay, now that's very helpful. And uh, Heather, anything you want to add to what Susan just uh, said? Yes, just a couple of things. One, uh, one thing that Susan mentioned um, was around the opportunities um, or, or um, yeah, opportunities around standards and assessments. And I just I wanted to make it clear just because there is some confusion around this from time to time. Um, it, the federal legislation has never required particular um, uh, name brands, if you will, right, right. of standards and assessments. That has always been left up to the states. But what is different in ESSA that, we, that wasn't 
explicit in No Child Left Behind or the Elementary and Secondary Education Act before that is that um, the federal government is prohibited from being engaged in determining or incentivizing or whatever word we right. want to use there to um, on states' ability to choose their own academic standards and to choose their own assessments. Um, we still have to follow the law with three through eight and once in um, high school. We still have to have high quality academic standards in certain subjects. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that folks understood that difference. Also, um, uh, Susan mentioned around student uh, school supports for um, within our accountability system. And for the last three years, our Title I school improvement team has been working with educators around the around the state um, in schools that need additional support for their students. Um, we've been working with them to develop protocols and processes for what we call a triannual review of student academic data. So we've been working with them on what the protocols should be and, and how folks can work together to really dig deep into um, how students are doing and what we can do to better support their growth. Um, this team also coordinates quarterly innovation meetings that are designed around innovation and improvement plans from these schools. And for example, we've been able to bring in experts to help schools develop processes for increasing student voice, improving quality family engagement, understanding the impact of student wellness on academics, and also building instructional strategies that value all students' learning needs. And this work is documented in our draft state plan. Okay, great. So it sounds as though not only does the state plan talk a lot about what New Hampshire is going to be doing going forward, but also that the process to develop the plan really was a collaborative effort, got a lot of people together in rooms across the state to kind of think about what we're doing in education across the state and what we might want to do in the next few years. So given that, Heather would love to kind of hear you describe what this process was like. Every Student Succeeds Act was signed into law in December 2015. So, you know, it's about a year and a half later. Kind of walk us through what that process has been like. Great. And thank you for that question, because there's certainly been many, many individuals that have stepped up to the plate and offered their expertise and thoughts into the first draft. One of the first acts we accomplished after ESSA was signed into law back in, um, as you mentioned, December of 2015, was to set up these advisory teams on four major themes um, that are located in the uh, Every Student Succeeds Act, or ESSA. Uh, accountability was number one, uh, comprehensive school support and improvement, English learners, and e educator equity and support. These advisory teams worked with the department leads for over a year, so a deep commitment from them, and, and we really are appreciative of their service, to develop the draft language in our state plan. In addition, we wanted to hear from New Hampshire citizens across the um, educational stakeholder spectrum on what they valued in their education system, because in putting this plan together, we really need to think about what our values are, where do we want to um, spend our resources, whether it's human resources or financial and so forth. We called this a listening tour. Um, it was really exciting for me to go around the state and, and really hear what folks were, were thinking. Um, and um, the regional meetings were attended by about 150 people. Um, and we also had an accompanying survey that went with that. We had over 950 responses, which I think is pretty good for um, a survey. Uh, and, and the results of this engagement can actually be found on our department's website, um, on our ESSA page, which I can provide um, near the end of our time here. We've also continually kept our educational and parent organizations in the state up to date. 
um, and requested feedback often from them along the way. And of course, we appreciate them as well. And finally, we've been keeping our Senate and House Education Committees of the State Legislature and the State Board of Education updated um, as they are the policymakers that we work the most closely with um, and again working with our educational stakeholders and advocacy groups. So kind of keeping with the New Hampshire local control ethos, it was a very collaborative approach it sounds Absolutely. like with lots of public input along the way mm -hmm. and now the plans out there for public comment again. And Susan, I know that your organization works with a number of states on these kinds of initiatives and these kinds of processes. And so, in your opinion, how does New Hampshire's approach compare with that taken by other states? Yeah, New Hampshire's approach is highly consistent with what we're seeing done around the country regarding stakeholder engagement. The federal law itself places a big emphasis on ensuring that all relevant groups, such as parents, educators, taxpayers, advocacy organizations, all of these groups have a seat at the table in the design of the state plan. And really that's to ensure that what the department submits is reflective of the values of the people of New Hampshire, as Heather said. Great, yeah, that's great. So it's good that the law kind of stressed this and then it sounds as though New Hampshire has really taken that to heart in how it developed this plan. So let's dive into the eight plan itself. And Heather, I'm hoping that you can talk us through the main components of the state plan and so kind of breaking down what people will see when they actually open the file and read the, the state plan. Great. Um, so get comfortable. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit <laughs> yeah, about this. I'll, little try bit, and do right? it. I'll try and do a little bit at a time. Um, so just keep in mind that the, um, that the plan builds on our educational priorities and focus areas um, and then through the through federally required state cut and call it explains how the state will accomplish its goals and where the alignment exists. I think what's most important is that we first determine what's important to New Hampshire and then we look at the law and, and different resources that go that come with the law and say what can we do to um, improve and, and help move our state forward. So I think that that step-by-step -step process is, is really important. Um, so again just and I, I mentioned that I would reiterate this over and over again, but our state plan is nowhere near everything that we are collectively doing in education throughout our state. It only includes those areas being asked of us by the U.S. Department of Education. However, the law does keep many of the major overall components or themes from the previous legislation and includes sections that are familiar to a lot of folks in our state, uh, Title I uh, being one of them, uh, which is intended to provide all students um, significant opportunity to receive a fair and equitable and high quality education and to close achievement gaps. This section of the Every Student Succeeds Act includes support for the education of the homeless and migratory children and our children and youth who are neglected and delinquent. This section also includes our accountability and reporting structure that Susan has talked about to ensure that all families and taxpayers at large have access to information regarding how our schools are doing in helping the students achieve academically. In addition, in the same section, um, uh, we explain the support for ensuring every student has an effective teacher in the classroom, what we call equity, um, and how we are working to improve the school culture for all of our students, which is an exciting opportunity. So Title II, another familiar um, 
piece of legislation within uh, the Every Student Succeeds Act is intended to support educator professional learning to support effective instruction to our students. It all comes back to our students, right? So this includes how the state is supporting those efforts by building quality systems of certification and licensing, um, providing resources to improve educator skills and knowledge, improving our teacher preparation programs, and we do this through collaboration and evidence-based practices. Title III, we've mentioned our, in, our supports for English language acquisition, language enhancement, academic achievement for our state's English learners. We also have a new section um, that, that's exciting. We received a, um, a little bit of funding this year. We're hoping that the funding continues. Um, we don't have a guarantee of that. Um, but it's called Title IV Part A, um, which means really nothing. Right. But it's, <laughs> it's a title. student support and academic enrichment um, piece of of the legislation, and it's a new grant that encompasses many of the areas um, that make up a well-rounded education, including STEM, um, civics education, student wellness, support for digital learning, and the, um, for this coming year, um, right now, and this could this could change, of course, with the, um, but in the plan, you'll read that it will be going out through a formula fund, uh, formula-driven uh, process to school districts. Um, and school districts can then use all the many, many different resources available, meaning the allowability of the fund, those things that I just mentioned, and many, many others to um, support their work. Um, there isn't a lot of money in this source when you split it up between all of our school districts. So school districts can actually use this fund. So let's say a school district is small and they only get about $10,000. They can take that $10,000 and put it into work that they're doing within Title I or within Title II and so forth. So uh, um, professional learning and those kinds of things. So there's opportunities there. And, and finally, um, Title IV Part B, which is our after-school program competitive grant opportunity, that's also laid out in there. We talked about our homeless and migrant education um, pieces as well. So the state commits to submit this plan once it's in a final form with assurances that it will meet the other required components for federal legislation and then it can receive funds to support our educational priorities once we've um, completed this process in September. Great. And so just to recap, so Title I, Title II, Title IV, these are federal funding streams that New Hampshire receives. And so in our state plan, you will, the readers would see or will see kind of how New Hampshire intends to comply with the federal provisions that govern those funding streams and what we hope to do with those dollars. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. And again, we, we look at what is important to New Hampshire and then, then we look at the federal legislation and say, okay, so how can we use those resources to help push our state forward and of course our state our school districts also use their funds that they receive at the state level to support the work that they're doing in their schools um, and other resources that they have such as other grant opportunities and so in addition to describing those specific uses of funds it sounds as though another integral part of the state plan is around our accountability system and specifically the accountability system with respect to federal law and kind of as we prefaced up front, federal law does not govern anywhere near the total amount of activity that is going on in New Hampshire schools across the state, but it does focus on a, a small but very important critical set of activities and really focus on ensuring that every student's individual civil rights with respect to education are protected and that we are being good stewards of public funds in how they are spent to help support students. 
So Susan, I know this is one of those areas where you have a lot of deep expertise. Um, would you mind breaking down the accountability system that readers will see in New Hampshire's state plan? Kind of help us understand what an accountability system is when we talk about it with respect to federal law and what the main components are. Absolutely, Dan. And, and like you said, Title I accountability really plays a vital role at ensuring that all students have access to a high quality education. And so uh, the Every Student Succeeds Act gave states around the country an opportunity to revamp their accountability systems to be more reflective of what a high quality school really means. And so let's just first start with the indicators that comprise the accountability system uh, in the proposed draft plan. There are really five main categories of indicators. And so as I mentioned, the first one is student achievement on the math and English language arts assessments. That hasn't changed from the No Child Left Behind Act, and that's still a very uh, large role in the accountability system because we want to make sure that all students have an opportunity to learn the grade level content standards. Additionally, which is a new addition to the Every Student Succeeds Act, New Hampshire is taking the opportunity to include student growth for elementary and middle schools. For high schools, the third indicator is four and five year graduation rates. The fourth indicator is progress towards English language proficiency for English learners. And this is a new requirement for Title I accountability out of the Every Student Succeeds Act. Uh, progress towards English language proficiency used to be housed solely in Title III, and it's now moved to Title I accountability and really brings a new emphasis um, on the growing population of English learners that we have in this state and states throughout the country. And lastly, we have a fifth indicator, as we like to call it, or as my boss calls it, the unicorn indicator. And this is where states had the most flexibility uh, to choose an additional indicator of school quality or student success. So for here in New Hampshire, the New Hampshire Accountability Task Force uh, decided to use an equity indicator for elementary and middle schools. And that's a metric that quantifies the student growth of the bottom quartile of students within each school. And so the idea behind this indicator is that schools will be further incentivized to serve those students who are the lowest achieving within their schools. And really, these are the students that are likely to need the most rigorous intervention to catch up to their peers. For high school, New Hampshire will be using an indicator of college and career readiness as their fifth indicator. This is the percentage of graduating seniors that meet two or more college and career ready benchmarks, such as a the completion of a New Hampshire Scholars pro, uh, program of study, a passing grade in a dual enrollment course, or even earning an industry-recognized credential in career and technical education. This is just a sample of the ways students can meet the definition of college and career ready, and there are currently nine options outlined in the draft plan. We would love for comments and ideas for additional benchmarks that could be included for this indicator from the public comment period. And so just to recap, a couple quick things. So with the five indicators, a number of those are actually required under federal law. And then, yes. and then a couple of them, New Hampshire had some flexibility to choose. And that's where people will see for elementary and middle schools, some metrics. And then in high school, like you just mentioned, the college and career readiness indicator. Is that yes, right? okay. that's exactly right. Thank you for clarifying. And, and Susan, how it all works together is also an opportunity for the state as well, how the indicators all 
build upon each other as well. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit first about reporting, and then I'll tell you how we combine the indicators. And um, so, so first, the new school report card will report on each of the indi indicators individually. And so they'll report on the performance for all students within the school, and then for every subgroup of students. And so those subgroups are economically disadvantaged students, students from the major racial and ethnic groups, students with disabilities, and English learners. And performance on each indicator for both the all students group and for all of the subgroups will be uh, reported on a one through four scale. And so that's really our hope is that this will help the public better understand where the school is performing well, well and where the school might have areas for improvement on more of a dashboard style approach. The last part of the accountability system that I'll talk about as you just asked about Heather um, is the process for identifying schools for support. So information from all of the indicators will be combined to identify those schools that are most in need of comprehensive or targeted support and improvement. So by law, by federal law, the comprehensive support schools are those schools that are performing in the bottom 5% of all schools based on the aggregation of the indicators. And the targeted support schools will be those schools or will be identified on the basis of low performing subgroups on all of the indicators. And, and so when we say reporting, just to be, clarify, we mean that we will report this information to the federal Department of Education on an annual basis, right? And we'll also, the plan is to publish this on the department's website. Is that is that right? Because that's kind of what we're doing now, more or less, right? Right, and, and remember, it's all aggregated, non-identifiable student um, or academic achievement information. Also, schools receive this, you know, on a school basis, so they, they can get information out to their um, families and communities as well. Great. And Heather, anything you want to add to what Susan just, what, just, what she just said? Well, yeah, no, the last thing, Susan, um, that you talked about was the um, you know, identification of those schools that need our most support, right? So um, one of the major differences in what No Child Left Behind required and what ESSA requires is in this area of required interventions or supports. Previously, if a school was identified in one of the three categories of school improvement, uh, in one of three categories, I should say, um, in school improvement, because they were not meeting the proficiency targets, schools would be on a trajectory of needing to implement one of the one of four required intervention models, and it was defined by the U.S. Department of Education very explicitly on, on what needed to happen. ESSA changed that requirement, um, thankfully, because we, we do know that there wasn't a lot of research behind some of those actions. Um, but ESSA changed that requirement to provide much more local control over the turnaround approach. However, the threshold for accountability and transparency is even more critical as the requirements for improvement plans and implementation requires what we call evidence-based practices. And so we're working a lot on what that, um, at the department, um, on what that means um, and, and how we can help support schools with that, that process. So the law even goes into defining the levels of evidence-based practices, and there are four. Um, and so even though there's no longer a federal dictate on the type of interventions used, schools will still need to, to be supporting um, 
need to be supported in, de in their design of what those evidence-based practices mean. And so we plan on continuing to do that to ensure that we're all going through this process of continuous improvement together to be able to support each other in that effort. Again, with a focus on improving student academic achievement. Right, yep. right. Gr grounding it all in student. Yes. And Susan, what is what does the timeline look like? So the draft plan is published now, and then they have 30 days for comment. Kind of what what happens? Is this does this start with next school year? Good question, Dan. Not exactly. New Hampshire will be phasing into the accountability system over the next couple of years. So those schools that are currently identified as priority and focus schools will continue to receive state support unless they uh, meet the newly defined exit criteria outlined in the state plan. Identification of new targeted and comprehensive support schools under the new plan won't actually happen until the 2018-19 school year, and that de decision will be based on accountability data from spring 2018. And so students, students are graduating right right now over the next couple of few next couple of weeks. They just took the annual assessment, maybe in the last couple of months. That data, the department's capturing. But what you're saying is, under this new plan, it's actually next year's assessment data and graduation rates that will also inform. Right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Great. it definitely is a process and we're being right. thoughtful about moving forward. Our current priority and focus schools, we will run the data based on how how they're doing, which is now being termed, um, just for our listeners, comprehensive um, and targeted schools. But um, we will be running the data um, this summer to see how, how they did because we do believe some of them have grown um, in their academic achievement and hopefully um, we'll be able to exit that identification. Uh, but we're, we still want to be able to support those who need our support the most. Great. So having a methodical transition to this new ESSA world. So it, transitioning a little bit to talk just once more about the, the funding streams. It is budget season here in New Hampshire. So Heather, I'm kind of I'm hoping that you can break down for us what specific federal funding streams are in the state plan and what, what are not, because we know that the New Hampshire Department of Education and New Hampshire schools receive a variety of federal funds and that the state plan, you know, only specifically focuses intensely on a, a select number of those streams. Right, that's a really great point. Um, again, it's it, it, not only is our state plan a small amount of what we are doing for um, in education in our state, it's also a small portion of the ESSA law itself. So it, um, I think that's really an important point. So just as we discussed before, ESSA provides funds to the state, and then the state, either by formula or by competitive grant, depending on the, uh, the funds, allocates those funds usually in, in most cases, it's at least 95% to local school districts and our charter schools. So funds are received um, and flowed through, if you will, we call it flow through money, um, for academic support through Title I, um, for educator professional learning support through our Title II dollars, for English learner support through Title III, and so forth. Um, however, it's important to note that neither ESSA nor the funds from that legislation, although certainly in alignment with other federal pieces of legislation, is all that we are required to do um, or receive to help our students in the state. So that's an important um, connection. So separate legislation 
um, outside of the Every Student Succeeds Act and with that separate funding streams that we also receive um, that goes out to schools is the Individuals with Disabilities Act or IDEA um, to ensure our students with disabilities receive a quality education. Um, Perkins funding, uh, most people have um, heard of that in our schools and that's to support our career technical education opportunities and the various pathways for success. And also um, uh, Medicaid for Schools, for example, the Medicaid for School program that assists in reimbursement of special services for students so that they can learn while they were in school. There are certainly other areas of educational work that you will not see in the plan. Um, one other note I want to make is because I have received questions on this. The very first question in the plan, and I brought this up just at the beginning um, here, is around um, the standards and assessment question. And it's interesting that the question is in the plan because there's actually a footnote at the bottom of the plan that was that is actually there from the U.S. Department of Ed um, that states we don't have to answer it. And the reason why is there is a significant um, peer review process that every state goes through when they have standards, uh, new standards and new assessments. We have to go through this um, every time we, we change either one of them. And so um, we, because of that, the U.S. Department of Education doesn't expect us to put all of that information into the state plan, but rather we'll go through the peer review process, which is also a very transparent process um, that stakeholders um, can be knowledgeable about and engage in. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that folks knew that uh, we have to ensure that those assessments are valid and reliable um, for the test, test items that are being asked and those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much. No, I think that's helpful. And so just, you know, when people will look at the plan, they will see that it goes into detail on Title One, Title Two, and what might be termed the ESSA funding streams. But there's not going to be as much specificity around IDEA or Perkins, although certainly the state plan encompasses students with disabilities, students who are doing career and technical education. But those are, in fact, different. Govern, different funding streams governed by different federal law, um, which is great because we get to we we get to um, at our school district level, uh, also at the state level, we have the opportunity to not only um, ensure that we are focusing on our most vulnerable students, um, but also on students that um, are engaged in our career technical education or that are engaged in um, AP courses or you know any, any number of things that we can talk about that we're, I'm really excited about is now um, in our accountability plan with our CCR, our College Career Ready Indicator. Um, but, there, but we also have the opportunity um, to focus on those, those different kinds of aspects with Perkins funding, with IDEA funding, and so many others. Um, with other funding streams and other pieces of legislation. So we're, we're getting at, at um, the educational needs of our students in a variety of different ways. Right. And I think one of those areas that we at Reaching Higher receive a lot of input on and work with a variety of groups around is on supporting students who have a learning disability or who are otherwise impacted by the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, and so, Heather, would just love to kind of expand on that a little bit more explicitly mm -hmm. and kind of talk about how does the state plan address students with learning disabilities? Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked that question. It's, it's important to remember that the foundational purpose of IDEA, or the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act, is to ensure that all children with disabilities have available to them a free, appropriate public education, or what sometimes we call FAPE. 
This right emphasizes the necessary services designed to meet the unique needs and prepare them for further education and life after high school. So in addition to that, everything that we do in our general educational environment, um, especially as the work we do require in requirements for the Every Student Succeeds Act, we are talking about all students. So even though IDEA has the separate funding sources we mentioned before and separate legislation, whenever we're thinking about our general education opportunities, we're thinking about all of our students, and that includes our students with disabilities. So um, you'll see our focus on students with disabilities and, and um, other special populations within our accountability system. As Susan uh, mentioned, our work with our targeted school improvement schools, will which will focus on those schools that have um, achievement gap um, situations where we want to close those, narrow those, and, um, and, and there's other areas as well. So the, well, if we step back to 1965, um, the original priority of the ESEA, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, we love our acronyms in education, um, it, even as it's been amended by ESSA, has been around equitable and high quality public education systems, again, for all students. And throughout this plan, we continually focus on that inclusivity, and we hope that our readers will see that and let us know where they don't. Right, definitely an important area for you know, thousands of families across the state and one that I'm sure people will weigh in on using the public comment time period. So now just transitioning quickly to another topic that we often get questions about and that people might be surprised not to see in the state plan is curriculum. And so just could you reiterate once again, Heather, where does where does curriculum get set in New Hampshire? Who decides that? Yes, I, you know, as I briefly mentioned before, the development of curriculum, instructional strategies, materials, all of that happens at the local level. These have areas specifically have not been and will not be, I'm sure in my lifetime, um, a state directive or, or driven. Um, this is curriculum and instructional materials, instructional strategies. That's best left at the local level um, where that expertise um, is. Now, we can provide support around those areas um, and, and helping bring resources to the table and those kinds of things, but those decisions are um, local decisions. And so simil uh, similarly, when we talk about educator evaluations, would you mind kind of expanding upon that? Like, is, that in the yep. is that in the state plan, kind of what the, what's the current situation on educator evaluations in New Hampshire? Absolutely, and that's a really good question because we mentioned that little small period of time between 2013 and 2016 um, where we had this flexibility waiver. So there has been and continues to be a requirement in our state law. I want to make sure that that's clear, um, but it's not in federal law. That Our state law mandates all school districts to have an educator evaluation system that is and this is important, it developed in partnership with their teachers, with right. their educators. Right. Um, districts can use, in the Every Student Succeeds Act, they can use their Title II, the educator effectiveness uh, piece of the legislation, um, to help support their evaluation system in their school if they choose. It's just one of those options that um, are listed in the law. But again, it, um, even though within ESSA there's no... Um, uh, requirement around educator evaluation is still part of our state law and then there's some funds if school districts choose to use their funds for that purpose. Um, so it's, again, we have a, a, um, a technical advisory out about this um, that's on our website um, if folks would like to, to look at that as well if that would be helpful to them. But it's no longer required on the federal side, um, still uh, is required on the state side. State law. Great. 
Great. Now that's very helpful to clarify that. So we've kind of walked through the major components of the state plan now, and we've gone through some of the topics that are not in the state plan. Hopefully this helps our listeners unpack this document and dive into it in order to provide comments back to the department. But before we wrap up, Susan and Heather, I'm just going to invite you both to spend a moment talking about the underlying vision for the state plan. How is this supposed to help students and families and communities across our state provide the best possible public education opportunities for our students? So Susan. Sure, I'll start. So at its heart, Title I accountability since 1965 has been a program evaluation effort. And it's really just to ensure that public funds are being well spent on effective educational services. So with that in mind, New Hampshire has designed the new ESSA accountability system to be useful to the public and providing a more full picture of school quality that's not just solely based on academic achievement, but includes additional relevant indicators that we know the public cares about, such as student preparedness to enter college and careers. Additionally, because the Department of Education will be providing this added data and detail regarding individual school successes and challenges, the design of the new accountability system is premised on the notion that educators and school leaders can now use this new information to help drive their local improvement efforts and decision making. And lastly, I should just say that because the school accountability system now takes into account many multiple measures, we believe that we'll be able to better target the department's resources to provide support to those schools who are most in need of additional assistance in serving their students. For example, we're not just looking at low-performing schools, but now we're looking at low-performing schools who, are, who also are showing low growth or who also have persistent achievement gaps. Great, thank you. And Heather. Sure. So in, in addition to um, the accountability reporting and support systems that Susan mentioned, I also just want to remind our listeners that there are also sections in the draft plan that, focusing, that focus on supporting educators in the classroom, as to be expected, of course, because the purpose because of the purpose of the Every Student Succeeds Act. Um, most of the plan is about ensuring that all of our students, including those with special needs, migrant, homeless, foster children, and so on, that all of those students have access to a quality educational system. I also want to mention uh, when, and I mentioned the regional listening tour that we did um, last uh, fall, actually, um, and the number one thing that we heard while we were out on the road was the need um, for the state to deeply engage in helping schools and families with resources around mental health. And I know that that's really hard for some people to hear because they want us to be all about the academics. Um, however, in order for students to get to the academics, we also have to think about what's happening in their in their entire world, right? And so um, what we have done in our state plan, and we're really looking forward to hearing the public's comments on this, is we have basically put into that school culture section that's required for us to report back to the U.S. Department, or put our plan into the U.S. Department of Ed, um, is all the work we're currently doing to help support schools in that effort, whether it's through student wellness or through universal design for learning, um, anti-bullying anti laws that we have in our state, restraints and seclusion um, laws that we have in our state, and those kinds of things. We've put that those um, issues and 
um, front and center in our plan, and we're really looking forward to hearing um, what folks think about that as we listen to um, families and educators um, around our state say, tell us that that was the number one issue for them. Right, and that's and certainly something that communities across our state are struggling with right now. So thank you both for that, and hopefully this will prove useful to listeners in helping them engage with the Department of Education and shaping our state's plan. So Heather, it's June now. What are the next steps? So what should our listeners do once they once they finish this this podcast? Besides sending us a favorable rating on on iTunes, um, <laughs> what, what what's next? Who can provide feedback? How do they provide feedback? And what happens when the public comment window closes at the end of June? Right, right. Great question. So first, everybody can provide feedback. Certainly, um, we do ask people who are providing the feedback to provide feedback on what's in the plan because that's the most relevant for us right now to be able to do that. We know that people want to share all of their thoughts around education, and we certainly welcome that. Um, at, at this time, we're, we're really looking for uh, that feedback specifically related to areas that we're being asked of um, by the U.S. Department of Education. Um, the best way to find our draft um, is to go to the New Hampshire Department of Education's website, which is um, pretty easy, www.education.nh.gov. Um, look at the right uh, quick links column and click on the Every Student Succeeds Act link. And right when you go there, you're going to see in bright red at the top um, to, to submit comments. That's going to bring you down to our section that has our plan, the survey, and it also has a, a two-page parent guide um, that very high level gives some information about what's included in um, the priorities of the, of the state plan. Um, we're also working, uh, just for folks to know, on getting that two-pager translated, and we'll update that translation um, and the, as well as the English version when we um, have the plan finalized. So once the public, public comment phase ends, comments will be sent to the leads of each of the sections of the plan. So anything around the accountability will be, will be um, also shared um, with Susan and her team, as well as the Accountability Task Force. Um, they will work on um, what those comments were, determine what can be changed. I, I'm expecting we'll get some changes that don't align with the law. We'll work on other ways that we can think about how we can um, meet, meet the needs of those uh, comments as well. Um, we'll ensure that all, that all comments received either through the survey or through um, an email, which I should also mention our email. So ESSA comments, that's plural comments, at doe.nh.gov. Um, comments can also be sent there, but we do really, really request that you use the survey because there are specific questions in there that we're looking for responses to. Um, we'll work on revising the plan throughout the month of July, and we'll send the final draft to Governor Sununu's desk uh, for his 30-day required review um, for the month of August, and the plan is due to the U.S. Department of Education on September 18th. So once the plan is submitted, we will go to each one of our five regions, probably um, at the end of September. We want people to get back into school and, um, and, and, and get ready, but uh, we'll go to each of our five regions of the state to walk through the implementation phase and get actually uh, feedback on the implementation process to see where, you know, it's always great throughout this process to get that feedback. So we'll be doing that as well. And on another note, I just want to uh, make is that the ESSA webpage 
Um, oh, I did mention the parent guide, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's good. So we've got the parent, so parent so, guide. I just yeah. think that's so helpful. The the actual um, uh, plan is about 80 pages, um, 90 pages. So if anybody's looking for a quick read, that's another um, place to go. And so hopefully we'll have the translations available soon. Great. Great. Okay. So if you're listening, you have until June 23rd to provide comments to the Department of Education. So if you have any questions as you're going through the state plan, please feel free to send them to Reaching Higher. We'll help you in any way we can to understand the state plan and provide meaningful public comment. You can find us online at reachinghighernh.org, or you can email me. I'm dan at reachinghighernh.org. We're always happy to help people engage in the education policymaking process. So thank you again, Heather and Susan, for joining us today. Hopefully this will be the first of many podcasts that we do here in New Hampshire, and we look forward to having you both back with us in the future. Thanks, Dan. Thank you.